0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors at Salt Church. Welcome. So great to be doing live church with you, live streams. Uh, I guess there's lots of things that we want and are missing at the moment, uh, one of the things that we need most, probably the thing we need most, is to hear from God, to hear God's Word. And we don't have to miss out on that. So praise God for that. Uh, why don't I pray as we jump into Acts 3. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you're a God who speaks and makes himself known, uh, and that you are a God intent on blessing us. Uh, we pray as we look at your word now, that you'll take away distractions, that you help us just to focus on what it is that you have to say to us so that we can be encouraged and spurred on as we live in complexities and difficulties. Amen. Uh, well, I'm sure you've all had the experience where you've made a big mistake about someone, and you know, you waved someone on the street that you thought that you knew and then realized it was a stranger, and so you turned it into a scratch of the head instead, those kinds of things. Uh, I read this week about a major case of mistaken identity. Uh, on the 1st of May, 1903, William West, Will West went to Leavenworth Prison in the United States to serve his sentence. Uh, Back then, in 1903, they didn't use fingerprints to identify who you were. They used just a mugshot and then 11 measurements of your body, you know, size of your chest, height, those kinds of things. And they took all these measurements and they took the photo of Will West and they discovered that West was already in jail. He was already in that prison serving a life sentence for murder. They thought that was a little bit odd. And so they're trying to work it out. Like, was did he somehow escape? Like, how did this happen? They were about to lock him up. And then they decided, actually, we better check just in case. And it turned out there was another man in the same prison with the same photo, the same measurements, even the same name. Uh, The guy at the bottom is Will West. The guy at the top is William West. This is a true story. This is legit true. They used fingerprints to prove that they were different men. And actually, this was the case that led to them using fingerprints to identify people. It was a major case of mistaken identity with some pretty serious consequences as they were considering putting him in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. This is pretty serious consequences, but it's nowhere near as major. It's nowhere near as serious as Acts 3. Because we're about to see the biggest mistake that's ever been made. When a crowd suddenly realized they killed the author of life. They got Jesus wrong. We're going to see three ways every one of us can get Jesus wrong. And we're going to see a God who's willing to welcome ignorant people because he's determined to bless them. Many people get Jesus wrong, but what happens if you get him right? Well, three things we're going to see. Here's the first one. A lame man leaps because Jesus lives At the last time we left the first ever Christians in the book of Acts, their numbers had jumped from 120 to 3,000 in a day as people turned to Jesus to be forgiven. And we saw this stunning picture of the community God creates. Have a look in Acts chapter 2. I'll just grab my Bible. Have a look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what it says They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It's this stunning picture of this new community, it's a beautiful picture. And in Acts 3, we focus on one feature of that community. The feature in verse 43. The apostles doing signs, doing wonders and signs. Uh, Now, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't already know when I say the point of a sign is to point to something. That's the purpose of a sign. It's to point you to something. Uh, Like this sign. The purpose of this sign is to point out the height of the bridge so that if you're driving a truck, you don't wipe out the bridge. That's the point of the sign. What do the apostles' signs point to? Two things. First, they prove that God's at work in these Christians, as these Christians do impossible miracles that only God can do. And second, they give an illustration, a snapshot, of the life that God gives. As people are healed, they're made whole. It's an example of what God will one day give all his people in heaven, in the new creation. And in Acts 3, we see one of these signs. So have a look in Acts 3 verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, A man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day, to beg from those going into the temple courts. Uh, Two apostles meet one lame man. He's lame as in he can't walk. Not lame as in my attempt to make a joke out of the word lame. He's not that lame. It's actually a really sad situation with this guy. Uh, This is a real man. And his feet and ankles have not been able to bear weight from the moment he was born. If you come over to chapter 4, look at verse 22. The man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. He's been carried every day, everywhere, for 40 years. He spends his days begging in the temple, hoping someone will just show him pity. But on this day... Before he even sits down to beg, two apostles pass by. Look at verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now what do you make of that story? Here's what stands out to me. It's described as if it was legitimate. Uh, There's so many details here. It happens at 3 p.m., At the city gate that everyone called beautiful. There's no medical intervention here. Just a word and he's grabbed by the hand. But not any hand, his right hand. Specifically his ankles and his feet are made strong. Three times we're told he walks. He leaps with amazement as you would leap with amazement if suddenly you could use your legs for the first time ever. And then you get the eyewitnesses reactions. Look in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Again, more details. They know him. There's no mistaken identity like with William West. It's the same guy they saw every day. And they run as like this mob to the apostles to say, what is this? They're utterly astonished. There's three shocks in this chapter, I reckon, three big shocks. Here's the first one. This is a legitimate miracle. As a lame man leaps. If it's real, how did it happen? Was well, not because of impressive people. I, you know my default reaction when I hear stories of people doing miracle, I feel skeptical. That's kind of my default reaction. Not because I doubt God, not because I doubt that God could do them. He can. God does them all the time. I'm skeptical when people claim that they have the power to do these kinds of things because so often you find out those same people use their gifts of healing to take advantage of others but the apostles do the opposite look at verse 12 look at what they say when peter saw this he said to them fellow israelites why does this surprise you why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk the apostles push the focus from them To Jesus. Jesus has the power, not them. And Jesus never uses his power to take advantage of people. He uses his power to love people. See, they point away from them to Jesus. And that's what this sign does. This sign points to Jesus. What is it about Jesus that led to this miracle? Well, two things. This sign is proof That Jesus is at work, doing the impossible that only God can do. It's in the name of Jesus that this man walks. And second, this is an illustration, it's an example of the life that Jesus gives. Look in verse 16, how the apostles describe it. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Jesus makes people whole. A lame man leaps because Jesus lives. He gives life to this man's limbs because Jesus is alive. And that is the second shock of this passage. Not the healing, The fact that Jesus is alive to do the healing, which is not a shock for you if you are a Christian. That's not a shock at all. We rejoice that Jesus has risen from the dead. But the last time this crowd saw Jesus was about two months ago when they were hurling insults at him as he died on the cross because they got Jesus wrong. This is how they got Jesus wrong. Let me count the ways. This is what God has done for Jesus. Have a look at verse 13. Here's what God has done for Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. God has elevated Jesus higher than anyone. Uh, It's the Olympics. I've been watching too much of it. Let me give you an Olympics illustration. Every medal ceremony, you can see who the greatest is based on who's highest. Because the winner stands on the highest place of the podium. It's really obvious who's the greatest. God has placed Jesus higher than the highest podium you could ever build. The way that God sees it, there's no one more important. No one more triumphant, no one more to be admired, praised, worshipped than Jesus. And what God says is the most true thing. Jesus didn't come to this position by being voted in as a political leader by some kind of popularity contest. God has said this, and this is true and real. Jesus is the greatest God has exalted and glorified him. But here's what the crowd did. Here's how they got Jesus wrong. Look at verse 13 again. God has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one. And asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. So I don't think you could have get Jesus more wrong if you tried. God glorified him. They disowned and rejected and killed him. But even that doesn't overturn God's plans. Look at verse 15. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. God reverses everything they do. God vindicates Jesus. God proves that he backs Jesus. A little bit like this Imagine you got a call tomorrow from your boss, the kind of call you never want to get. I got bad news. COVID cuts. You're fired. 20 minutes later, though, your CEO calls and says, hey, look, I heard you just got fired. I just decided to retire. I've had enough. I'm out of here. I asked the board and the board all agree you're hired as the new CEO. You're the boss of your old boss. It's kind of like that. God has flipped it. God has vindicated Jesus. They crushed into the dirt. God raised him up higher than the highest there is. And let's just zoom in on one description here of Jesus. Because this is how they got Jesus wrong. But notice just this one description of Jesus that he's the author of life. This is why the lame man walks again. Jesus is alive and he gives life. He's the source, he's the origin, he's the author of your physical life that we all share. And he's also the only one who gives new eternal, spiritual life. Now, I said there's three ways that we can get Jesus wrong. Here's the first way. If you don't live to give glory to Jesus, you've got Jesus wrong. God exalted him. There's no one higher or more important. He deserves to be obeyed, to be worshipped. He deserves your life. But countless people treat Jesus as if he's unimportant. Which is the same mistake that this crowd made. I mean, sure, we don't kill Jesus like the crowd did. But if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, effectively, you're just the same as the crowd. Effectively, you've disowned the one that God glorifies. Because anything short of total devotion is far too short. For Jesus, which is a challenge for us who call ourselves Christians, isn't it? It's a challenge for me. I'm not pointing fingers here. I do the same thing. If we Christians don't live to give Jesus glory, we've got Jesus wrong. If that's not the purpose of our life, the aim for our life, we've got Jesus wrong. Because anything short of total heartfelt devotion falls way too short of what Jesus deserves. But I regularly fall short of that. I mean, I'd like to say giving Jesus glory is the reason I get up in the morning. Pretty rarely is that the case, though. I often feel like a hero because I did one thing for Jesus in each day. We all fall short of this. And if we all fall short, why would God accept us? Uh, Coming back to your boss illustration, what if as your boss was firing you, they actually really enjoyed it? You know, they added insult to injury. You're incompetent. You're a pathetic human being. Your plant is dumb. You got bad hair. I don't know. They just started insulting you. And then you become the CEO. You become their boss. What would you do? Suddenly the tables are turned. You've been treated unfairly. Actually, this guy's been very unprofessional, completely unprofessional. It would be fair to show your boss the door, wouldn't it? Isn't that what you have to do in that situation? Well, how much more will God do what's fair to the crowd that killed Jesus, to the crowd that killed his son? How much more will God do what's fair to all of us who reject Jesus in one way or another? Well, here's the third shock, the biggest shock, I think. Instead of anger at us, God is set on blessing his enemies. This is how to get Jesus right. Let me count the results. This probably isn't a shock for us if you're a Christian. We rejoice that God accepts us. This is the greatest news we've ever known. But here again, what God actually gives to us who are Christians. Here's why the crowd did what they did to Jesus. Look in verse 17. Verse 17 Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what He foretold through all the prophets, saying that His Messiah would suffer. See, it was God's plan for Jesus to be disowned and killed. Jesus was willing to be disowned and killed. He chose to do this. The Bible said it would happen. God foretold this. Jesus told them this is what was happening. They should have seen it. They're guilty for the fact they didn't see it. But God treats them as ignorant. Do you see that? Ignorant. And he gives them the opportunity to repent. Which is a shock because it's not what we'd do, is it? That's not what we'd do. God is so much better than the best of us. God is determined to bless. And there's four blessings here. Let me show you them. Verse 19, look at the first one. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Sins wiped out. Literally, your sins might be obliterated, is the word. It's the same word that's used in Revelation when it talks about God wiping away our tears. Gone, removed, sin not recorded on the page against us anymore, wiped out, obliterated. Next one, verse 19 again. So your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Uh, refreshing uh, the refreshment of like a huge sigh of relief that's what it's talking about how good that sigh of relief is when something hard is finished and it's actually a promise of seasons times and seasons of refreshment and relief while we wait for the third one verse 20 and that he may send the messiah who has been appointed for you even jesus Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. We're, we're waiting, some of us waiting desperately, for the day when restrictions will ease and we can be restored back to normal life. A day is coming, though, when God will restore everything. When things like COVID and sickness, all sickness, and even death, when things like death are not even a distant memory because God has restored everything. Last one, verse 26. Verse 26. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Uh, If you see someone who's trapped in alcoholism or trapped in a drug addiction, what a blessing or what a kindness it is to break them free of that, to turn them from their destructive way to something better. God does that. God turns us from the self-destruction that sin always is. He turns us from our sin to Him. These are magnificent blessings from the God who's ready, who's willing, who's passionate about blessing his enemies. These are the results you get if you get Jesus right. So how do you get Jesus right? It's in verse 19. It's right here for us. Verse 19, repent then and turn to God. I remember when I got my red P plates, when I first got my driver's license. I got my red P's in the time before GPS. And I don't mean before GPS on your phone, I mean before GPS at all, before anybody had GPS. And suddenly there I was driving on my own with all the difficulties trying to remember the road rules and changing gears and making sure I merge without crashing, all while balancing a street directory on my lap trying to work out where I was. And I thought I was doing pretty well at this whole driving and navigating thing until the day I found myself driving down a one-way street. Really surprised that all the cars were facing the wrong way. All the parked cars were facing towards me. And I was like, seriously, don't people know how to park cars anymore? That's kind of what verse 19 means when it says, Repent and turn to God. It's like we're driving the wrong way down a one-way street, which may have been what I was doing on my peas. If you're not a Christian, you need to admit that you're going the wrong way and turn around and go the right way. You need to acknowledge, if you're not a Christian, that you've got Jesus wrong. You've been ignorant of who Jesus is that he's the saviour, that he's your Lord, he's the son of God. You need to, be, uh, to ask for forgiveness for that ignorance and turn to live for God. And that's what all Christians have done. That's how you become a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. To admit you've gone the wrong way, to turn around and go the right way, to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, to ask to be forgiven, to turn to live for God. And this brings us to the two last ways we can get Jesus wrong. First, if you don't live to give Jesus glory, you've got Jesus wrong. But second, if you feel you don't need to repent, you've got Jesus wrong. So we're different to this crowd, no doubt about it. But in our own ways, we have all disowned the one that God has glorified. These four blessings God gives are not for everyone. They're only for those who admit they're going the wrong way, who ask for forgiveness, who turn to God through Jesus. And God is willing to welcome you if you do that. Don't refuse that offer. Without Jesus, your sins are not wiped out. Without Jesus, refreshment is not yours to share in. And that day when everything is restored is the day when you'll be judged. You'll stay trapped in your wicked ways. God is willing to welcome you. Don't refuse that offer. It won't last forever. If you feel you don't need to repent, you've got Jesus wrong. But third, if you feel unable to repent, you've got Jesus wrong. As some of us listening, we know full well we don't deserve this. We feel too guilty for God to accept us. We don't even accept ourselves. There's things you've done you haven't told anyone about because you would be so ashamed if anybody ever found out. If you feel you can't come to God, if you feel God won't want you, you got Jesus wrong. God is willing, he's ready, he's almost stubbornly determined to welcome and bless you. Turn to him, he'll have you. See, if you get Jesus wrong, there's crushing consequences. If you get Jesus right, there's amazing results. Trusting Jesus gave life to a lame man. And Jesus can give you new life. Why? Because God is ready, he's willing, he's determined to bless anyone who turns to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you bless us who were your enemies You are ready and willing and determined to do that. And we give you so much thanks for that, Lord. We praise you so much that that is what you've done for us through Jesus. I pray for those who are listening in, who are exploring Jesus. Please, Lord, turn them to you. Help them to find these answers to the questions that they're asking. Help them to see the life that comes in Jesus. And Lord, we pray for all of us today. Help all of us to live to give glory to Jesus, the one that you have glorified. Amen.